I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I serve as lead pastors here at Connection Point. So glad you're here with us today on a holiday weekend. Hopefully everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Good Thanksgivings? Too much turkey? <laughs> yeah, probably. Lots. I forget there was a statistic in terms of how much turkey is consumed. It's ridiculous over Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, we had a great time with Shelly's family. We, we hosted them. Uh, it's always a joy to get together as family and to think about those things that you can be thankful for. Family, one of those, of course. So I'd like to ask you a couple of questions this morning. So I need your help. And so the first one would be this. How many of you, if you follow Jesus, how many of you think it's a good idea to read the Bible daily? And we feel like that's a good idea, good idea. Yeah, hopefully you raise your hand. It's a good idea. Um, how many of you think it's important to regularly share the good news of Jesus with others? Think that's important? Okay. Now, I'm not trying to set you up, so don't raise your hand for the third question. Okay? So I just want you to kind of swim in that a little bit. But what I want to know is, so we think it's important to read the Bible. We think it's important to share the good news. Now, again, don't raise your hand. But how many of you took time to do that this week? And again, that's, that's for your own answer, your own self-reflection. Statistics would show the majority of us, or a lot of us, probably did not uh, read the Bible daily this week. We, we maybe did not share the good news of Jesus with someone else this week. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But wherever you find yourself in that spectrum this morning, what I, I'm wanting to get at is that one of the issues we see in the church is it's not an issue of knowledge. We know the things that are good to do, that are healthy to do, that Jesus asks us to do, but we sometimes fall short. In other words, knowledge does not necessarily lead to action. So what's the issue? Why do we know these things but not necessarily follow through to do them? I would say the issue is, is we have an adoration problem. We have an adoration problem. If we adore Jesus, there are certain things that we feel compelled to do. And how do I know this? Because all over Facebook this week were people taking pictures of family, grandparents in particular taking pictures to put on display their grandkids. Anybody see some of those? Absolutely. That happened in our household. Grandparents love to take pictures of their grandkids and they want everybody to see them. Why? Look at, we got clapping hands. Because grandparents adore their grandkids. There is a natural response that we have out of adoration of others. And if we adore Jesus, we feel compelled to follow through with the things he's asked us to do. One of the first messages that I shared as uh, Shelly and I came here almost three years ago now was a message on adore. And it came out of the first series we did, Live Like It Matters. And I shared that three years ago knowing we need to address an adoration problem in our churches today. If we adore Jesus, then we have a natural response to him. And if we don't, then it's going to have rippling effects on our spiritual life. Adoration. Adoration is the question. And as we consider uh, continue our series in Luke today, we're going to come across a passage of scripture in Luke 14 that as you read through the list, you read through that scripture and you feel like, wow, I don't know what to do with that. And so what we want to consider this morning is the question, is Jesus worth following? Jesus is putting out some content to the crowd that's there, and he's asking them to consider, if you follow me, this is what it looks like. 
And it's something that we're going to have to wrestle with today. So my hope is that by the end of the message today, you consider Jesus worth following, no matter what. I hope you get there today. I hope that you're led there today by the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you've got your Bible with you this weekend. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one underneath the chair in front of you. But we're going to pick up where we left off in Luke chapter 14. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 14 with me. We're going to read verses 25 through 35 this morning. And I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. We just stand out of reverence for the fact that God gave his word to us. These words are important. And so we're going to start in verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him. They accompanied Jesus. And he turned and said to them, so let me point out one thing here because it's not in my message notes. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus turns to the disciples, to the 12, and he says to them, Anyone who comes after me must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. He's only talking to the 12, but now we see Jesus has turned to the crowd, and here's what he tells them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So last week in Luke, if you were here, we talked about joining the party. We talked about joining the party by being compassionate. That was an important quality. We talked about staying in the party by remaining humble. Humility was required. And we talked about the ability to celebrate with others by getting rid of excuses the fact is, we've all been invited to participate in God's global party. We've all been invited to follow Jesus by making disciples. We've all been invited to be a part of the local church and make a difference with our lives. We all have that invitation, and we try to make sure people know that. So we make signs, we make t-shirts, we pass out programs. Everyone's been invited. We want people to get that message. And the question we were confronted with last week is, have we accepted the invitation or not. There's people in the Next Step class right now over in the city room who say, we want to accept the invitation. So they're there to say, we've accepted the invitation. How can we join the party? The question was presented is, are we excuse makers or are we excited members? Are we making excuses or are we excited to be a part of what God's doing? God has a plan and purpose for everyone in this room. And in this church, it exists to help you discover that purpose, to equip you for it, and then to live it out. So we as a church want to help equip you, prepare you, and help you live out the purpose God has for your life. But what we find as we continue 
in Luke chapter 14 is that there's a cost associated with joining the party. This is likely why people made excuses as to why they couldn't come. Jesus gives expectations of what it means to follow him and thereby participate in what he's doing in the world. This is what we've just read. Joining the party requires compassionate hearts, humility, and a desire to not make excuses. That was last week. And from our passage today, we find that joining the party requires loving Jesus more than everything else in life. That's what's required. But as I finished putting this message together last Tuesday, so uh, with the way the week was falling, I was finishing up this message. I was uh, struggling with how it was put together. I'd gone through the usual process, so when I work through a message, what I do is I read a passage in six different translations, in the, in the ESV, of course, in the New American Standard, and the New Living Translation. So I go through, because I just want to soak in the passage. And then I read commentaries, and I allow the outline to come out of the, the passage that we're in. So I'd gone through that whole process and filled things in, and I sat and looked at the message and felt like, this is not what God wants spoken. It was a message about counting the cost, counting the cost of following Jesus. But you notice that was not the title of the message. The message is, Jesus is worth following. As I sat in the message and I was going through it, I don't know, it just unsettled. And so what I realized is by last Tuesday, I needed to throw that message away, which I never take lightly because it's like 15 or 20 hours to put a message together. So it's like, oh, I don't want to put this on the shelf, but I had to. I put it there and said, God, what do you want communicated out of this passage? And he said, don't count about the cost. Talk about my worth. Talk about my worth. God is worthy. Because here's the, here's the whole point. If we understand the worth of God, if we understand the worth of Jesus, the cost never matters. We have to understand his worth. So I threw it away. I talked with Shelly and said, look, <laughs> I've got some work to do to figure out how to communicate the worth of God. And here's what I want us to grab a hold of today. Maybe if you understand nothing else, understand this today. The cost of following Jesus is nothing compared to the infinite treasure of knowing and experiencing him. The cost of following Jesus is nothing, nothing compared to the infinite treasure of knowing and experiencing him. If you understand his worth, the cost won't matter. Jesus, he shares a parable in, in the book of Matthew, and here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his what? His joy, he sells all that he has and buys the field. If you understand the worth of Jesus, then in joy, you can abandon everything for him. Not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but in joy, you can abandon everything for him. Here's one of the important principles I want us to understand this morning. Adoration leads to abandonment. Adoration of Jesus, it leads to abandonment. That's really important for you to get. The passage in Luke that we read, it only makes sense in the context of the worth of Jesus. If you do not consider Jesus as worthy, this passage will make no sense to you. Or worse, you will doubt this passage, thinking Jesus didn't really mean what he said. But the problem is, he did. Jesus means what he says. 
We can't take it lightly. And if you understand the worth of Jesus, then you can wrestle with his words and you're going to find them to be true. But here is my dilemma. How in the world do I, as a finite being, communicate the worth of an infinite God? How do you communicate that? So last Tuesday, God says, explain my worth. And I just sit there. Like, explain what? How do you explain the worth of God? I, I can't hope to explain the worth of God in 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. I can't hope to explain his worth on a million Sunday morning messages. <laughs> How do you explain the worth of God? So I'm going to tell you up front, I don't think I can. But I'm going to at least try to point out three reasons that we find in Luke that Jesus is worth following. That's where I'm going to go. And then I'm going to have a few others help me communicate the worth of Jesus this morning. And as we look at Luke, here's what we find the first thing. Jesus is worth following because he is the son of God. Jesus is worth following because he is the son of God. In Luke chapter 1, right away, there's the angel approaches Mary. And he tells her that she's going to be the mother of Jesus. And here's what he says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Right away, before Jesus ever comes, the angels proclaim who this Jesus is. He's the Son of God. It's incredible that we can have a personal relationship with our Creator, with God Almighty. Do you ever stop to consider that? God who created the heavens and the earth is concerned with us. That's amazing. Jesus, who is there at creation, he's worthy of all of our worship. Uh, think about it. God created the sun and the moon and the stars, who created the oceans and shorelines and mountains. He came to earth as an infant so that you and I, our neighbors and family, everyone around the world could have a personal relationship with him. We've been invited to be reconnected with our creator. Holy cow. We, we find later in the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, Jesus asks the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Jesus asks them, and Peter answers, the Christ of God. The disciples, they followed Jesus because they knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was the son of God. We have been invited to follow the son of God what a privilege, what an honor. I can't believe that I can wake up in the morning, pray, and talk to my creator. May we never take that for granted. He hears our prayers and he responds. Do you know why we read those celebration cards? Is we want to remind you God is involved in your life. That's amazing. So I've asked a couple of people to help me communicate God's worth, and I'm going to invite Dan Gaines to come and, and help. Like, so Tuesday night, like, I'm talking to Shelly, I'm like, Shell, like, I got to totally write this message, and I'm supposed to communicate the worth of God. I can't do that alone. So I'm going to ask a couple of people. So I'm sorry, Dan, you, you got a phone call. I'm like, so Dan, could you on a Sunday morning explain what Jesus means to you and why he's worth abandoning everything? And Dan's like, what? <laughs> hey, like, if I'm going to get thrown into this, you're into. <laughs> so I've asked Dan if he could explain. Thanks for throwing me in the deep end. Hey, anytime. <laughs> Thanks for helping. <laughs> um, so really, when, when Pastor uh, asked me about this 
question. I mean, obviously, it's a very huge question, and um, it was, I was really trying to gather thoughts on how I could possibly explain this in a very short time. But to me, um, really, uh, the revelation that I've come over, you know, years of following Jesus is that he's love. He's so good. And um, so, but to really understand that love, you know, I, I used to um, come in, go to church, I would sit in a seat, listen, you know, sing some songs and really uh, hear a message and I would leave pretty much the same way. I, would, I wouldn't, wasn't really abiding, wasn't really spending that time. I wasn't really allowing God to use me to engage others. Um, I was just kind of keeping it all to myself. But then I realized that, you know, love, uh, the kind of love that God is, that Jesus is, it's not a, it's not a passive love. It's not something that's distant. It's not something that's far. It's, it's within us, and it's, it's near, and it's active, and it's alive, and he wants, he wanted to, he wants to use each one of us. And so um, I realized he didn't want me to be an audience member. He wanted to use me. He wanted to work through me, and so... Um, once I opened myself up to that, ever since, um, it's uh, just been transforming. It's been life-changing. Um, and I'm, I really, I constantly, I'm, I'm not content. And, and to, to, to be honest, that is the best feeling in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Just to know that God continues to want to, to use me. Uh, just not being content. If I, I know if I'm content with where I'm at, then I'm not really growing. I'm not really... Um, walking alongside him. I'm walking on my own. And so, um, yeah, it's, so this discontent is, it's just, it's so good. And I, I just, yeah. So he's, he's just that love, that active love that I, I just have to be a part of right now. That's great. Thanks, Dan. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing. Can we thank Dan for sharing this morning? I tell you, it's hard to put into words what Jesus means to you. But Jesus is worth following because he is the son of God. And Jesus is worth following because he is the savior of the world. Jesus is worth following because he is the savior of the world. Again, right away, Luke chapter 1. It's amazing. As you go back through Luke chapter 1, he is described as to who he is just in that first chapter. Right away, that's revealed. So uh, we're John the baptizer, right? So John the baptizer is born and Zechariah, his father, prophesies over him. And here's part of what he says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation. He's raised it up for us in the house of his servant, David. Jesus came as a savior for the world. And after Jesus is born, Angels appear to shepherds in a field, and here's what they declare. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So he's prophesied before Jesus is born. He is born, and it's declared to the shepherds. Jesus, the Son of God, is our Savior. And then Simeon, a devout worshiper of God. So before his birth, at his birth, a couple of weeks after, Mary and Joseph, they take Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. Simeon is there. He's a devout worshiper of God. And here's what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen what? Your salvation. 
Jesus is our salvation. He is our Savior. And as our Savior, what has Jesus saved us from? He saved us from eternal separation from God. Jesus provides life everlasting. God is good, and out of his love for us, he sent his son Jesus so that everyone who believes in him will not perish. This is in John, the Gospel of John. But people will have eternal life. Jesus is worth following because he's the Savior of the world. Well, I also asked Marlene Troyer if she'd be willing to come and share this morning. So Marlene, would you mind to come? Jay's going to, oh, Dan, yeah, there's lots of people to help you up the stairs. Whoever you want. Thanks for being willing to share, Marlene. Appreciate it. Let me get your microphone, too. I'm going to have to. You use it. Go for it. I was really glad to hear that I wasn't the only one intimidated by this assignment. (laughs) (laughs) Even Pastor Zach says he was, too. Um, When he asked me to share about this, you know, my thought was, how do you describe the worthiness of the one who describes himself as I am? Hmm. And, you know, he is who he is, and he's inherently worthy. Hmm. And I said I'd pray about it. And when I went to bed that night, a thought popped into my mind, a memory, as I put my head on the pillow. Hmm. And I thought, that's it. And so, excuse me for reading, but the essence of this story is the details. Hmm. It's a story of God's extravagant love for someone who came up for prayer one day. Hmm. And so... If I miss the details, you dismiss the whole thing, so pardon. Earlier this year on a Sunday morning, as I, was, as I started my abiding time, it seemed that quite a few anxious thoughts were bombarding me from all directions. I journaled them and cried out to the Lord for his perspective. Um, I was using one of my favorite devotionals, Abiding Christ by Andrew Murray, and the thoughts and scriptures for that morning just blew those anxious thoughts away and set my feet back on a peaceful foundation. Thank you, Lord. My journal records a big wow that that day's devotional just happened to address my need so specifically. I mistakenly thought that was just for me. As it happened, Leon and I were on prayer team that morning and a woman came up for prayer who was a visitor to CPC, though we did not know that at the time. You know, there's a lot of people sometimes we don't know. Um, she asked for prayer about, would you believe, anxious thoughts. When it was my turn to pray with her, I shared what the Lord had given me earlier, and it was such a connection for her. Um, We talked about how our minds um, can be a battlefield and the importance of recognizing the enemy's lies. Out of the blue, she shared that she had been struggling with the lie of whether God was good. She was a strong believer, but she recognized this as a specific thought that was harassing her. Of course, we prayed about that also. When the sermon started, though it was broader than the goodness of God, several times through the message, Pastor Zach gave examples and made a point about the goodness of God. Every time one of those points was made, my heart just went to that woman we had prayed with and prayed again that she would not miss these specific answers to her need. After church, I made a beeline to where she was sitting. She saw me coming, and our eyes met in recognition of what had happened before we were even close enough to exchange a word. It was kind of electric. She absolutely recognized what had happened and how the Lord had met her that day in a very specific way through circumstances and the message. That would have been good enough, 
But then she told her side of the story and the details of how she happened to even be at CPC that morning. The extravagance of the Lord's love just unwrapped before me like a present. If you recall, I wrote wow in my journal at what the Lord had done for me that morning. And this was just wow after wow for her. She shared that she was a visitor and not just a local visitor, but a visitor from out of town. She was in town attending a meeting, a conference, and decided to go to church. But the thing that was more amazing about this is that she had lived in Lafayette years before and attended a different church. It would have been the most natural thing in the world for her to go to that church while she was in town instead of to CPC, but she was here instead. As she shared this, it became clear that not only the Lord had prepared a message for her on his goodness through Pastor Zach, but the Lord prepared a demonstration of his goodness by pulling together so many details that it was impossible for her not to recognize what he had done for her. From the Lord's answers to my own anxious thoughts at the beginning of the morning, which he prepared me for a personal response to her, to Pastor Zach's preparation for his message, to her happening to be in town on this day, to her happening to come to CPC instead of her old church, um, to her coming up for prayer, that was a decision too, and then happening to come to us and happening to share the is God good thought that was not even part of her original prayer request. What a great God to pull together all these moving parts. So many things that just happened. She left that day with a deeper revelation that God is a good God because he loved her so much to pour out all that detail for her. You have to have been there to really fully appreciate how special this was. But I hope this conveys a small degree of how over the top and crafted for her this demonstration of God's love and goodness was because there might be someone here who has that same haunting question that she did, is God really good? Is he worth my devotion and trust? I think since he prompted this memory to share today, kind of small but profound demonstration of his goodness and love, it must be for each of us. Amen. Thank you, Marlene. When you consider the creator of the heavens and the earth, I've already shared he's got concern for each one of us personally. Isn't that amazing? That's one person. And that person can be you. And it is you. The question is, are you looking for it? Usually it's there and it's happening. The question is, are you looking for God's activity in your life? Jesus is worth following because he is our savior. And God is good. That's why he sent his son as our savior. But Jesus is also worth following because he is Lord. Jesus is worth following because he is Lord. Again, right away in Luke, we find that Jesus is referred to as Lord. Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the baptizer. And upon seeing Mary, here's what Elizabeth declares. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In the first chapter, he's referred to as Lord the Son of God, and our Savior. Right away, do we stop to consider that? That's incredible. And, and so what does Jesus is Lord? What does that mean? What does Lord mean? 
You always want the Bible to define the Bible. And so you go to Luke chapter four and Jesus is reading the scrolls, the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth. And here's how he describes the Lord. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's how Jesus describes Lord. Someone who comes to preach good news. That's what Jesus did. Setting people free, making them whole. These are the descriptions of our Lord. As Lord, Jesus sets people free and then he provides them with meaning and purpose in life. That's what he does as Lord. Jesus both saves us from something as our savior. What does he save us from? He saves us from the consequences of sin, which is eternal separation from God. But you see, he also saves us for something. Jesus saves us from something for something. This is another important principle today. We read in Luke chapter five. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out, your, uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So Jesus as Lord gives purpose and meaning. And what did the disciples do in response? When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The disciples knew Jesus was worth following. They knew he was worth abandoning everything else for. Jesus is worth following because he is Lord. I also asked Shelly if she'd be willing to come and share. Can we welcome Shelly as she comes? So it is fun to be a part of Zach's struggling and, and suffering when he's preparing these messages. But then he said, and I want you to share too. And I thought, oh, suffer for your Partake in the suffering. Right, no. Um, so I too had to reflect and pray and ask God, what am I supposed to say about this? Because I really feel like um, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You know, what you care about, you understand. And trying to convince somebody to care about something you care about, it's kind of pointless sometimes. I'm sure you felt that way at times. Um, you know, anyway, I felt like the Lord just kind of led me to my journey and just went kind of way back in time for me and just seeing God's hand in my life as he would kind of put his finger on an issue or um, a thought or a painful moment, a wound or something. And then allowing the Lord to kind of work that out in my life. And so it, for me, I would say my journey has been allowing the Lord into some of those tough places. Uh, and then just seeing what happens. And thankfully, I, you know, I have Zach. And for a very long time, I would say right away into our relationship, I really felt like I could trust him with anything, any topic, any 
kind of horrible thought I could even come up with. And I think for a while I tested you on it to say, how, what crazy thing can I say that's going to keep him steady and calm and, you know. But anyway, it just felt like he was a great sounding board for me. So I could say, honestly, I really feel like I just keep having these thoughts come back to my mind and I don't want to think about it. I don't want to go there. And he would say, well, you kind of need to, you know, kind of sit in that for a minute, journal about it, pray about it, see, you know, what God wants to do. So then over time, that's become a theme for me. And I feel like this morning as I was praying and just kind of reflecting this one line from a Christmas song, let every heart prepare him room. And sometimes we don't realize we have an adoration problem because we don't have room for God. And so my journey, the Lord has allowed me to see where I don't have room for him and where he's trying to make room for more of himself in my life. Uh, A book I read, actually when we were in Sudan, it talked about your mind. And if you could think of your mind as being a house with many rooms, and where is the room where you meet with the Lord? And I kind of imagined a living room and an armchair and This is where I would sit and meet with the Lord. And honestly, that looks a lot like my abiding time. You know, it's all very neat and tidy and there's room for him. There's room for me. It's cozy. But in the book, it talks about how there's other places in your mind where maybe you don't invite God to dwell with you. Or maybe there are closets or, you know, and those can be places where you just say, "Ah, no, God, you're not going there. Because honestly, if we're honest, we don't really care to hear what God has to say about some of those tougher places in our lives. You know, maybe it's a a wound that might lead to forgiveness. And you can just say, I'm not going there. Forget it. Not going to happen. And you can talk to me about it in eternity because I'm just not going there in this life. But like the Lord can bring something back to our minds. And that's our opportunity to say, you are the Lord and when you think of the Lord, do you think of, of the Lord sitting on a throne and you bow down to say, you are my master. I am your humble servant in this village. And whatever the Lord says, I shall do. I mean, we say Lord so much. You know, he is my Lord. He is my king. We'll sing it a thousand times in one song. But do we visualize the Lord? And I bow down and I am not worthy to even look at at him. So Lord means a lot to me because when I feel like the Lord says, what about that area in your mind? What about that issue you don't really want to talk about? I feel like I have to surrender that to him. And as I do, I make room for him in my mind. And as I do that, my adoration grows for him because where he wants to be and where he wants to dwell becomes a very beautiful place. And so then I get to say, you know, as I'm, you know, of course, in the era of me being the stay-at-home mom, I had a lot of time on my hands. I could have watched every show that was ever made, but I chose not to. I I didn't want to escape my life. I didn't want to escape my reality. I felt like God allowed me the time to dwell on him and to take every thought captive So what came in my mind was a choice. Did I dwell on that? Did I daydream on that? Did I live out this other reality other than my own, which was a lot of chores, (laughs) a lot of cleaning and a lot of cooking and grocery shopping and taking care of babies and 
Did I escape that or did I live in it? And did I say, I do this as an act of worship and I want to hear your voice and I want to dwell in your presence and I want to sing a love song to Jesus who loves me so deeply and cares that I'm here changing diapers. So my adoration grew because I knew he wanted to be with me in every room, in every space, in every part of my life. And in the tired moments of staying up in the middle of the night, Jesus was with me and he would sing a love song to me. And in those spaces, my adoration of him grows to a place I can't define because he made it for himself. And that's hmm. kind of what kind of came to my mind. Thanks, Shelly. Do you want me to take this? Yeah, sure. Thank you. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about it. I had mentioned that adoration leads to abandonment. But what Shelly just said is, an abandonment leads to greater adoration. And that's true. That's a good gospel truth. What a wonderful thing to share. Jesus is worth following. Why? Because he is the son of God. He is our savior and he is Lord. Jesus is worthy. And what I love about Luke chapter five is that the disciples, they left everything to follow Jesus before they fully understood who he was. Part of our adoration is it's a journey. Your adoration grows as you journey with Jesus. So the question is, will you commit yourself to the journey? In Luke chapter five, the disciples, they did not know Jesus was the son of God. Think about it. They did not understand that he was their savior. They simply understood that this person was worth abandoning everything else for. What I wanted to do this morning is simply walk us back through Luke, Luke chapters one through nine, to say, look, it's already been revealed that Jesus is worthy. Have you stopped to reflect on that? And when you think about Jesus addressing the crowd, he's already displayed that he's worthy, but now they have to consider, is he worthy of abandoning everything else for? Dick Brogdon, he was here for our missions conference at the beginning of the month. And in his devotional, The Live Dead Joy, he had an entry this past week about Luke chapter 14. Here's what Dick wrote. He said, Jesus warned that being his disciple, it includes hate for father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and yes, even our own lives. He meant, of course, that all other passions must pale in comparison to our passion for and allegiance to him. I want to mention that again. All other passions must pale in comparison to our passion for and allegiance to him. And when our allegiance to Jesus does not exceed all other allegiances, we are doubly deprived. Not only do we miss the completion of making Jesus our highest joy, we also miss the deepest fulfillment of all other relationships. I think we miss out on this. My interaction with others is fullest when my passion for Jesus is highest. And some of you know this because you have families or friends or families that you have a hard time relating with them because you understand your passion, your relationship with others is deepest when your passion for Jesus is highest and when your relationships are too. Dick and Jen, they understand the worth of Jesus. That's why they can abandon everything and go to a place like Saudi Arabia. They also understand their relationships with others are fullest when their passion and the passion of those they serve with is highest for Jesus. So I asked three different people to share what Jesus meant to them this morning. And the question you need to answer is, what does Jesus mean to you? You need to consider that this morning. What does Jesus mean to you? What does he mean? Have you found in him something worth losing everything else for? 
And the answer to that question is tied to what you think Jesus is worth. And this was my struggle when God dropped in my heart to explain his worth. You see, I can talk about the worth of Jesus with those who understand his worth. It's hard for me to explain the worth of Jesus if you don't yet fully comprehend it. And so what I asked to do, I asked the Lord, how can we illustrate this? So I've actually asked Naren Sloan and Katie Stewart. Would you mind to join me this morning? Are you guys in here? Yep, I'm seeing you. So uh, could we welcome Katie and Naren this morning? So here's what I want to illustrate. So Katie is a music teacher at one of our local schools, and Naren is an educator as well in one of our local schools, not in music though. So I'm going to have, we selected a song that we're going to play for just like a minute or two, and I'm going to ask both of them, Naren, what does this song mean to you? And then I'm going to ask Katie, talk to us about this song. Are you understand where we're going? All right, so let's go ahead. Let's play a minute or two of that song that we selected. Come a little bit closer. All right, Naren, what were you hearing in that song? It's bedtime for my children. <laughs> Something that I uh, might play to uh, kind of settle everything down the evening. Um, All right. I like it. Okay. That's good. Thank you, Naren. <laughs> That's great. All right. I'm going to have you guys scoot up a little bit so I can get you guys keep you in the light. All right. So, Katie, tell us a little bit about that song. What were you hearing as a music teacher? Um, if you watch my fingers, I play clarinet and I've played that 10, 15, maybe more times. So my fingers play along cause it's a muscle memory thing. Um, it is Mozart's clarinet concerto. It was written in the last two months of his life, uh, for Anton Sadler, who was like his best friend that he never wrote for. It helps that I just got out of college. So all of this stuff is still in my head. Um, <laughs> It was written for a Bassett clarinet, which is, in the 18th century, um, was popular, but is not anymore, and they knew it really wouldn't last, and it kind of pushed into the invention of the extension for the normal B-flat clarinet, and that's where that came from, and that's what I think of every time I hear that piece, but also I think of my senior recital where I played it and my mom cried. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you, guys. You head back down. You can take that with you. Why? <laughs> Naren, I hear you think of a bedtime song. <laughs> and Katie, holy cow. Why could Katie tell us more about that song than Naren could? Why? No, no trick questions here. <laughs> she enjoys it. Absolutely. She enjoys it. She enjoys that song. Why else? She knows it. She's studied it. She has experience with it, right? She said she's played it 10, 15 times. So she could actually move her fingers along with what was happening even with the clarinet, talking about its history, when it was written, the name of it. Isn't that amazing? That happens, in other words, the worth of that song, that song is worth more to someone who understands it 
than someone who doesn't. Does that make sense? And the same would hold true for anything that we hold up. I could put a painting up here and ask an artist to explain it and just ask somebody else, hey, you know, tell us, who's that painting going to be worth more to? The artist. We could talk about some you know, classic cars and talk, you know, we could have somebody who collects them or who is a, a fanatic for them. They could tell us it's, that classic car is going to be worth more to that person who collects classic cars than someone who just drives an everyday car and doesn't care a whole lot about it. The worth of Jesus. If you've struggled with understanding the worth of Jesus, could it be because of your lack of knowledge and experience with him? It could be. That could be one of the issues that you're dealing with today. And this is why, from three years ago, I immediately started talking about abide daily. If you have time with Jesus daily, at least on a regular interval, sometimes daily is hard, but if you have regular time with Jesus, abiding in him. What's the promise? He's going to abide in you. If he's abiding in you, you're going to understand his worth. I could not encourage you more to be in the regular habit of being here on a Sunday, that we can worship the one who's worthy of all of our praise together. I cannot encourage you more to be daily in God's word and spend time in prayer. I cannot encourage you more to be in close relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to spur you on in your relationship with Jesus. If you really want to grab a hold of his worth, then you need to spend more time with Jesus. You you need to have more experiences with him. Here's kind of the point, that abiding leads to adoration, which results in abandonment. If you want to understand the scripture passage this morning, then you need to understand the worth of Jesus. And if you want to understand the worth of Jesus, you need to take time to be with him. You need to make it a regular habit in your life. That's why I've said one of the major... Uh, challenges for us in the culture in which we live is busyness because it keeps us from intimate knowledge of who Jesus is. And you can't adore Jesus unless you have time with him. And who is this Jesus? I want you to adore him because he's the only one that can save you. He's the only thing that can bring you into a right, right relationship with God to save you from eternal separation from God. Jesus is the only one who can provide you with real meaning and purpose in life. He's it. And what I'd like to do to seal this commitment today is I'd like you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 14. We read it this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 14. I want you to look at verse 33. And what it says, we already read it. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And this is the corollary to the verse that we read earlier this morning, Matthew 13, 43, where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he abandons everything. He renounces everything to receive this infinite treasure. If Jesus is your treasure you will have no problem being open-handed in your relationship with him. You'll have no problem abandoning all for him. If you truly love Jesus, there's no such thing as a close second. The question is, have you found Jesus as your treasure? Is he worth losing everything else for? What I'd like you to do this morning is in the margin next to that verse in Luke. I'd like you to write one of two things today. I'd like you to write next to that verse either... I have found something worth losing everything else for. Have you found that? Or do you have at least that desire? I want to find something 
were to the worth losing everything else for. Either I've found it or I want to find it. And if you can't write either one of those two things, may I encourage you start to spend time with Jesus. And I pray that one of those two things happens in your life. The I want to, all you're saying is I commit to the journey. And as I stay on the journey, I know I'm going to discover the worth of Jesus. You will. That's simply the way that it works. So after you've written down one of those two phrases in your Bible, what I want to do is I'd like you to take your program or a connect card, something that you can write on. So the back of your program, if you have one of those, or a connect cards in the seat back in front of you. Or if you don't have one of the Abide Daily Guides, take that. Take the Abide Daily Guide. There's a couple of blank pages in the back. I want you to have something that you can write on this morning. The music team is going to come. They're just going to sing the song worthy that they already sang this morning. We're not going to sing it along with them, because here's what I want you to do. As they sing the song worthy, I want you to write down what Jesus means to you. I've asked Shelly and Dan and Marlene to, to consider that this week. But I want you to consider it today. What does Jesus mean to you? I want you to pause. You've got a few minutes to reflect. And just begin to write down. Start somewhere. Don't think it sounds silly. Just start to write something. Write it in your program. Write it on a connect card. Write it in the back of a Buy Daily Guide. But write it somewhere. So they're going to sing that song just to provide a space for you to write it out. And then they're going to invite you to stand as we close in song. But take a few minutes and answer the question, what does Jesus mean to you?